What is up? It's been a couple weeks. A couple weeks in the making. But we are finally back. Here on The Word with G. I'm your host, talented, smart, handsome, Greg Larnard, the American hero. And you can always find me on my social media platforms. Don't want, just want to kind of get that out the way, right off the top. Facebook, at The Word with G. Instagram, easy, also, at The Word with G. And on Twitter, my personal Twitter, at glarn 34 That's the baseball number. We're going to be going to kind of come into, into play a little bit here today. The, you know, the baseball and the college baseball number because we're going to be talking some fantasy baseball with one of my favorite strategists in just a few minutes. But I wanted to just kind of touch on just quickly, we'll just make mention right off the top of how crazy this NCAA tournament has been. No, no, not as crazy as it was last year. We had a lot more last-second shots buzzer beaters, kind of crazier games last year, but crazy in the sense that we're seeing three teams that we're not used to seeing in the Final Four. Yes, we're used to seeing UCL, or excuse me, UNC. The Tar Heels, they got to the finals last year. We're used to seeing Roy Williams and those boys in, in, you know, going deep into the tournament, making those deep tournament runs. But the teams we're not used to seeing, Gonzaga, You know, it seems like every single year people are always high on Gonzaga all the way back to about when Adam Morrison was playing there. And they just continue to break your heart and just, you just feel like you want to just, you know, crouch down on the court and cry like, much like Adam Morrison did. But Adam Morrison, he's got the last lap because he actually won a championship with the Lakers. So he he does have a ring. He's got one more ring than you and I have. But Gonzaga, they finally make it to a Final Four. Good for Mark Few and those boys out there. I, I, you know, I'm a big Zags fan. I know, you know my boy Dan Quinn. Uh, also, Patrick Quinn, excuse me. Pat Quinn. Dan Quinn has got from high school. But Pat Quinn, also a big Zags fan. Uh, Oregon getting there, and, and they haven't you know, been to the Final Four, won a championship in about 70-some-odd years. So that's exciting that the Ducks are there. You know, People usually write them off because they're always – same thing kind of as Gonzaga. They're, you know, way up there and they're hyped. They don't really, you know, ever make too much hay in the tournament. And how about the Gamecocks? South Carolina doing it as a seven seed, much like my UConn Huskies did back in the day with a great strong guard play, big boys down low. And this is the one thing I can kind of compare Gamecocks and UConn is they knock down those free throws late in games. And they don't allow you to come back. They don't, they don't allow you to come back. They've been doing it all tournament. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into a little UCLA and Alonzo, or not Alonzo, but Lonzo and LeVar Ball, uh, the, the whole madness there. And I, I, I want to kind of get into that and kind of touch on that. But off the top, like I said, this has been kind of in the making for the last couple of weeks. We've been trying to get it together. I, had, I was trying to get both of my buddies on here, my two draft strategists, fantasy baseball draft strategists, I don't want to call them experts because their heads are going to get, you know, inflated. But their draft strategist, my draft strategist here on the Word with G. One was supposed to be Tyler Green, you know, one of the most headiest, uh, smartest uh, pitchers and talented pitchers that I've ever had an an opportunity to play with uh, in college. And and I always like talking to him, whether it be about fantasy baseball, fantasy football, just anything. He's just a very smart, intelligent person. And then the other one, Matt Burns, 
also a college teammate who I had the the pleasure of playing under for you know for one year as as he was our captain and, and took our college team to the heights that you know the program hasn't really seen. And we were nationally ranked a couple of times and uh, as high as 18th. You know, we surprised a lot of people that you're going going 30 and eight. And uh, so he is joining me right now, my man Matt Burns. What's up, buddy? How are you? Uh, thanks for uh, finally jumping on here and, and getting this going. It's been too long, man. I appreciate you having me back. How you doing? I'm good, brother. I'm good. You know, crazy games like we were talking about off the air, just, you know, that, that, that North Carolina-Kentucky game and those three other teams that, you know, kind of squeaked into the Final Four that, you know, we're not used to seeing. It's, it's going to be crazy. But we're going we're gonna to talk about the NCAA second half of the show. I want to jump off with our fantasy baseball. And, you know, we always do. We try to do this every single year. And, and I always like to, you know, kind of do a little mock draft beforehand. And I'm going to be upfront and honest, my draft was not the greatest. And, uh, you know, I had a draft since then, and it kind of came out a little bit better, more to my liking. But, you know, I still want to break it down for the people and the listeners and the audience, and we'll talk about some draft strategies. So right off the top, man, and I know you're a big fantasy baseball guy, and, you know, you're one of those guys that, you know, consistently does these keeper leagues, and he's, he was just telling me about, like, these minor league drafts that you guys do, like, crazy stuff. What? Don't get to a just don't even just don't even talk about the minor league stuff, but just a regular fantasy baseball draft, whether it be five by five, seven by seven, anything like that. What what are your kind of draft strategies when you're going into a fantasy baseball draft? Well, I mean, the first thing I think uh, you know, you look at the first and second and third rounds or so in that that range. I think you you know, similar to you know, real live drafts, and you're talking about major league baseball, especially National Football League, things like that. You have to get guaranteed. Uh, locks and talents in those first few rounds because if you if you draft a bust in those first couple rounds, it can really really hurt your team. Uh, you know, so you're looking at the guys uh, that have consistent proven production, and and I like to avoid uh, you know the guys who have high ceilings but maybe low floors and and it's that big variance kind of thing. You know, and then later overall in the draft, I think obviously the the hitting is more valuable than the pitching in the first 15 to 20 rounds. You know, mostly through that throughout the draft, the pitching, you can find more talent deeper later on. Uh, you know, so you're definitely looking to stack your offense in the first you know 50 or 60 picks rather than trying to get your uh, your two or three aces. You know, you'd, you'd much rather have two or three studs, three or four hitters in the lineup, kind of thing. So. Offense first, and in general, make sure you lock down the guaranteed talents in early on. All right. Now, well, talking about the, those guaranteed talent, you know, I'm just kind of looking over the positional ranks, the top 300 on ESPN right now. Is there anybody in that upper echelon of players that you, you, you kind of feel like has that, you know, that high ceiling but also a really low floor that you're like, man, I, I got to kind of stay away from this guy. You know, I'll let somebody else – make the mistake of, of drafting him and maybe risking it being a bust early on in, in the first couple of rounds? Well, I mean, I think the first guy, the most obvious guy jumps off the page at you is Bryce Harper. Uh, you know, Bryce Harper is a guy who a couple of years ago put up, I mean, absurd numbers uh, in that in that MVP season, Um you know, and then last year came back down to earth. I mean, last year he hit under 250. He had less than 25 home runs. He had less than 90 RBIs. He had less than 90 runs. That's not first-round talent. And, uh, you know, that name, I, I mean, listen, Bryce Harper's 20, he's 24 years old. 
that name carries so much weight, and I think he'll be great in the future as well. But right now, I don't think he's a first round. I'm not taking him in the first round because, like I said, if he puts up those numbers again like he did last year, um, you know, I, I don't think he's that kind of guy. Now, if he comes back into his MVP form where he put up 40 homers, 100 runs, 100 ribbies with a 330 average, and so then obviously he's a top five talent, but uh, there's too much variance for me and Harper. And, and um, you know, I think that without that name, if you put up stats versus stats, that guy wouldn't be drafted in the first few rounds. No, I think there's a, there's a big name recognition there. Obviously, like you mentioned, Harper is a, is a big name. And, and, and maybe some people that, you know, don't really – play fantasy baseball or aren't huge baseball fans, they're just going to see the name and they're going to think, oh, you know, Bryce Harper, you know, big power guy, young guy, you know, he's got to be really good. But in terms of strategy-wise, one thing that I kind of wanted to throw in there and for you listeners that maybe aren't so fantasy baseball, you know, privy, you really have to look at the statistics and the scoring settings of your league. You know, you make sure that, you know, you, you figure out, what what the offensive scorings are settings are going to be the you know the pitching if there's any defensive stats because some of that can kind of play into how you draft and I know you've played in all kinds of different leagues Matt what 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 kind of variance is it if you're playing in, with something that's you know maybe some crazy stats like Billy Davis like to have in our old fantasy baseball leagues up at Plattsburgh well I think uh, you know the the biggest the biggest or the most popular two leagues are. Uh, rotisserie and head-to-head rotisserie is more accounting throughout the year and head-to-head is you know you can have a bad week as far as you put up you know your team puts up five six home runs in the week and you still win the category so no matter how bad your team was you know you you get a one in the win-loss column uh you get a one in the wins and so that's a big difference uh rotisserie uh you know you're competing against the entire league in each category and you're looking for the points. So the counting numbers throughout the year matter more. Uh, like I said, head to head is just, you kind of got to get a little lucky into who you play and, and how your team performs that week. So, uh, you know, I perform, I, I prefer head to head. I think it's, you know, as silly as it seems that little competition between one person and the other, you know, you get a little trash talk throughout the week and stuff uh, against the one guy, but um, y- you know, it's uh you know, it, it depends on what you do. I don't think the draft strategy matters or it changes too much. Um, but, you know, like stolen bases is a, is a hot topic as far as does that matter more in rotisserie and head-to-head and things like that. So, like you said, it matters about, obviously, what your scoring system is. Um, but it, I think it remains pretty consistent throughout the entire, you know, from first round to the last round. It, it remains pretty consistent as to what you believe in and what you think your draft strategy should be. Again, we're talking with Matt Burns, my you know, draft strategist here on the Word with G consistently. We're always talking about fantasy baseball, fantasy football, whatever it may be. Um, you know, you had mentioned that you kind of like the head-to-head because you can talk a little smack and you're kind of going up against the guy. Do you, in fact, prefer the, the head-to-head instead of the rotisserie? I do, I do. I, I have that in both of the leagues that I'm in right now that I've already drafted is both, are both head-to-head. I have another one coming up that's head-to-head. I would like to get into a serious rotisserie league just for the experience of it. Uh, I just haven't found that league yet where, you know, you got 12 guys who are diehard rotisserie guys. Um, but, you know, and then there's the other, like, you know, the AL only or the NL only leagues, like stuff like that. That's, that's, yeah. you really need to know your depth in that, in those leagues. 
uh, the back end guys. But you know, it's uh, I, I just like the head to head because if I'm playing, you know, if I'm you and I are squaring up and and uh, Edwin Encarnacion hits a late home run on Sunday night, I get to chirp you just because of that. Where I'm not really thinking about the entire league, just you, you know. So it's uh, I prefer that just because, like I said, the one on one. Uh, mono mono aspect is is uh, is is more pre- preferable for me. Yeah, as a as a competitor, that's kind of you know you, you get a little trash talking going, and, and you can really kind of prove that you're better than your friends if you can beat them. Obviously, week to week instead of just over the long haul, you know you may move up one or two spots. It's you know it's kind of it's not as exciting, I guess, the rotisserie. But I and I was having a conversation with my cousin, you know, this past couple weekends ago because he's a big fantasy baseball guy too, and he was talking about how he really likes rotisserie much better because, you know, you get into the playoffs of these things and, you know, maybe, you know, a guy has a good or a bad week and then, you know, you know, maybe the, you know, the best team throughout the entire season doesn't win. And, you know, that kind of takes away from it. Uh, so that's kind of an aspect of rotisserie. I think that, I think some people like a little bit better. And, you know, I was thinking about setting up a league and I, and I may do, you know, rotisserie. I haven't done a rotisserie league in a while, so maybe we can get that uh, kind of going, but, you know, we talked a little bit about stats and, and things like that. What, what are some kind of sneaky stats that, you know, maybe some people forget about that you kind of like to look at when you're kind of evaluating players uh, when you're when you're going to draft them? Yeah, we have a you know, league I just drafted tonight is um, is a six-by-six, six, so it's an added category in both offense and, and pitching as opposed to the, the normal five-by-five the, uh, five league. So we added uh, – um, we added on base percentage and sit and holds for pitchers. So you got more relief pitchers in our in our league. Uh, you know your guys like Andrew Miller and Delm Batances, who normally have good value but not great value because they're not going to get the saves, now have really big value because not only are they counting more for holds as well, but they obviously add in the strikeouts and WHIP and ERA and things like that. And then the on base percentage plays because. You know, you got a guy who has a like Jose Bautista has a lot of power, but hits for a terrible average. At the same time, he's going to take a lot of walks, so he's more valuable now in those leagues as opposed to normal five by five leagues because he adds that sixth category. He really adds uh, an added value to. So, uh, you know, in those that league that I'm looking at, I really look at on base percentage a lot because if a guy's on base, obviously he's going to score runs. Um, if he's on base. Uh, his average is probably going to be a little bit higher than other guys, you know. So I, I look at that, and then for pitching categories, you got you have to. I think no matter what league you're in, no matter what scoring format you're in, you have to ignore wins. Wins is such a puntable. Uh, you know, you just punt on wins because it's just so much up in the air. Like Rick Porcello, nobody knew that guy was going to win 20 games last year. It's just a freak thing. If you get mm-hmm. the run support and you get lucky, you know all that stuff. I think I look at more at uh, at whip and um, and strikeouts uh, for those two categories than anything else, and and hopefully the wins come along with that. Um, but I think if you know the more fielding independent pitching stats, things like that, like where if you're striking guys out and not giving up home runs, that's going to be your better pitcher. Uh, so you look at those kinds of things, like the guys that control their own stats. Those are the pitchers I want to target. Yeah, you know, wins is one of my least favorite categories. Like you said, it's such a punnable stat where where it's just so fluky, you know. Like, you look at a guy like Felix Hernandez a couple of years ago where, what did he win the Cy Young? He had, like, 13 wins. Like, wins don't dictate whether or not a guy is pitching really well. You, you want to look at that ERA. You want to look at those strikeouts. 
uh, and especially that whip because you want to keep those runners off base. And, and the, way, the best way to do it is to kind of obviously not put people on base, giving them free passes. It's just kind of logic of the game of baseball. It's just kind of how it goes. Um, and speaking of a, of, a, of a category, and this is one that's becoming more and more scarce, and I was reading a stat uh, about it today and because I was looking at Billy Hamilton as maybe a guy to not sleep on this year. And I read this stat where it was more than just, uh, you know, the league last year. There was a .729 stolen base attempts per game in 2016. That's the lowest in 45 years it's been. So just talk a little bit about how important it is to get a guy with some speed. And I remember specifically your team last year, one of your strategies you would talk to me about was drafting a lot of guys with some speed and, and they could steal bases so you consistently win that category. Yeah, that uh, you know that that uh, that league that we're probably going to start back up soon this week. Um, it, it worked out really, really well in the beginning of the year, and then I kind of tallied, t- uh, tailed off a little bit. Uh, my pitching, the guys who were snaking me some wins and some good ERA, ended up becoming back to more of what they normally are and stuff. But you know, I went all stolen bases, and and uh, obviously you win that category every single week. Uh, so that worked out for me a little bit there. But as far as like the overall uh, looking at stolen bases, if stolen bases are a part of your league, you can't ignore them. Um, you know, you have the two the two options of a going for the guys who steal you know ten to fifteen to twenty five bags uh, throughout the year and building on those guys throughout your roster, or you get the heavy end guys like Billy Hamilton and Jonathan Villar and Trey Turner, the guys who are going to steal fifty sixty bases. Uh, and and then you can add on power in the other side. And it's just a matter of how your draft falls, really. Uh, I don't think you lock into one strategy or the other. Um, but as far as, you know, Billy Hamilton, like you said, I know that that guy is going to steal me 50 bases. for just. I mean, as soon as he gets on, he's going to steal. You get those games, especially in the head-to-head categories where he can win you a week single-handedly in just one game where he'll steal three or four bases. Um, you know, I, I mean, that's huge. In rotisserie, he might not be as good of a pick, but in head-to-head, uh, you know, he is. And what I look at, one of the things is the second half going into the next year. Billy Hamilton had a great second half last year. His average was higher than it's ever been. His on-base percentage is higher than it's ever been. You know, you're looking at the course of 40, 50 games. That actually matters. And, uh, you know, if he can keep up, even not, not the pace he was at last year in the second half, but something close to that, I mean, Billy Hamilton can steal you 70 or 80 bases. Uh, and that alone will win you the – it could help you win the league, just, just one guy in itself. So a guy who can dominate one category like that, uh, you can't ignore if stolen bases are anything to do with your league. Again, we're talking with Matt Burns here on The Word with G. Thanks for joining me here on blogtalkradio.com, WRSP Radio, WRSP Sports. And you had mentioned Billy Hamilton, and I was going to touch on this a little bit later, but you just brought it up. Um, you know, he did have a great second half last year. He, he batted 293. His on-base percentage was 370. That's, that's quintessential if this guy wants to take the next step in his, his, his career, his fantasy baseball career for us players. You know, that's huge. If he can do something like that, he can kind of produce those those type of numbers and get on base even more. That's just going to produce, you know, better, obviously better average, better on base percentage, and better stolen bases. And uh, we're going to touch on, uh, you know, a lot of players a little bit later, but I wanted to ask you about this one specific guy because you brought him up in, the, in your last answer. And Trey Turner, man, he's ranked 15th overall in ESPN's rankings. 
why? I mean, this guy is very unproven. Yeah, he's, he's got that lightning-quick speed and that game-changing speed, and he's a great athlete. But 15th overall, ahead of guys like Carlos Correa and, and Corey Seager and, and, and Freddie Freeman and Francisco Lindor, can you explain that to me? Yeah, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for Trey Turner because actually last year we talked about that minor league draft that our, our my one league did, and just got we just got rid of him. Ah, uh, you snagged uh, him recently. I grabbed him with the third round in our three round uh, minor league draft. Or no, I'm sorry, he wow. was in my first round. But uh, I grabbed him about the third or fourth pick. A couple guys went before him. And this, the funny thing about that league is, it usually those minor leaguers usually don't play out. The two greatest. Uh, I guess contributors have been Noah Syndergaard a couple years ago and Trey Turner last year. And, I mean, they just blew up. You know, Trey Turner came up, it seemed like three-quarters of the way through the year. I know it was a little earlier than that, but it it seemed like they just took forever to bring him up um, because he was producing so highly so early him. They had him up there for a while, but they kind of weren't playing him. You know, they had him up there when Ian Desmond was still on the team. But they really just couldn't, you know, find a spot for him, whether it be, you know, shortstop, second base, and now they got him in center field. I think that's that's really going to help him. Yeah, I mean, his speed is is unquestionable. I mean, it's it's immediate impact. Last year, I mean, his average is going to come way down. I think he's not going to sustain a three forty average. Uh, I don't think that he's going to hit twenty five home runs. Last year, he hit thirteen in just seventy games played. Uh, you know, but he stole thir- every time he was on. He was similar to Billy Hamilton, but he was on base more often. Every time he got on, he was stealing. He was stealing. He was running, and those kind of stats. I mean, if he was somewhat close to that, he's a top ten player in fantasy. Uh, now, again, like you said, he's completely unproven, and he's had seventy games in the big leagues, and you have no idea if he's going to produce anything like that whatsoever. But if he does, I mean, he truly is a top ten player. He's better than a Bryce Harper. He's he's better than a Manny Machado. As as insane as that stuff sounds, a guy who's going to score you 120 runs and steal you 50 bases, you don't find that, uh, you know, and, and hitting over 300. So if he can produce something like that, I, that justifies the ranking at, uh, completely. But you know, Carlos Correa had a phenomenal first year, and then he fell back down to earth in his sophomore slump year. And if he does something. If Trey Turner falls into that kind of realm, then, you know, he's a top 80 pick. You know, it could be that that far of a drop. But, you know, the speed doesn't quit, and that's going to play, and he's going to hit in the top of the Washington lineup that's going to score a lot of runs. So, uh, you know, I, I, I can see the ranking. I can also see another, like I said, that's a high-ceiling, low-floor kind of guy. And, you know, he plays in the National League East where he gets to play against the Mets and, and their catchers. Uh, not very good at throwing runners out, not very adept at throwing runners out, as, as I know, but all too well. Uh, and obviously Syndergaard can't hold any, couldn't hold you or I on base um, if he wanted to. But um, last question I wanted to ask you before we take a little bit of a break and then we start getting into our mock draft. Um, this, is, this is kind of something that, that I've wondered. And, and, you know, I was doing my last draft, and I didn't get one of the upper echelon shortstops, whether it be a Corey Seager or a Carlos Correa, and so I, you know, I went through the entire draft basically until the last couple rounds with my shortstop slot open, and I'm just drafting kind of best available. What's your sense and what's your, I guess, strategy when you're going through the draft? Do you try to kind of fill up all of your starting spots, or maybe you leave one or two blank until later in the rounds because you're like, okay, I can get better value at the, better value 
at this position maybe later in the draft instead of taking somebody who, you know, I could take somebody better, like a better outfielder or a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher here, and then I could wait on a shortstop or a second baseman or something like that and still get good value. What's your thought on that? Do you draft best available or do you kind of take what you need? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you're kind of leading to – I think you take value. I mean, I, I, I can't stress enough value, value, value. There's no point in reaching for uh, you know a, a guy you need because of a position um, that's going to be slightly better than the guy you can get for three or four rounds later. There's just no point. So you, I think that if you're looking like it, like you said, your shortstop. If it just so happens in your draft that uh, you know you were targeting the top three or four guys, like in and Machado, Correa, Seager, and Lindor all go off the board. And then, you know, guys are reaching because of that for Xander Bogarts and Trevor Story and, and, uh, you know, Jonathan Villar, some guys like that. I think if if you see those guys reaching, you know, first of all, nobody's going to draft two shortstops early on. Everybody's got to fill something else. So there's going to be one of those back-end guys there later on in the draft anyways. And uh, and two, I mean, those numbers, like I said, the counting numbers throughout the year are going to be what they are. And because you're going to reach for a guy just because there's there's not great options left, uh, you know, I just don't I just don't believe in it. So, you know, I think if you did that, if you followed through with it, you just waited till the end of the draft to take a guy. I mean, you know my my opinion on catchers and stuff, just especially you draft value. <laughs> We're gonna get into that so, so next. If you're starting pitcher, if your starting pitcher value is is your next pick, and he's you know you thought that guy was going to go 20 picks earlier but you still need a shortstop, take the guy who was going to go 20 picks earlier and they're still there. The value is all that matters. Value, 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 just like in baseball, location, location, location. Always a very important thing. Matty, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to let the people breathe, let them take in that draft strategy. We're going to come back. We're going to get into our, dig into our mock draft, maybe talk about some players that you should probably not sleep on and maybe some players that you should look to avoid. Uh, also, I want to hear that crazy reason why you don't play a catcher in your keeper league and how about my man getting quoted in an ESPN article just the other day we're going to jump into all that when we return right here on the word with G we'll be right back Ladies and gentlemen, you're here on The Word with G. We're talking a little fantasy baseball right now with my man who was just featured in an ESPN article regarding catching, and it's none other than my man Matt Burns, my boy from college, played baseball together, uh, my, my, my draft strategist here, my fantasy baseball strategist. We, we always love and enjoy talking fantasy baseball as well as just baseball in general, very uh, intelligent guy knows a lot about the sport and he's been a coach for a long time after he's played and you know actually let's change things up and I, I want to kind of touch on that that article 
first and foremost. Then we'll kind of get into your catcher strategy of not playing a catcher, and then we'll kind of jump into the mock draft. So kind of, and I didn't get, you know, I, you just told me about it literally right as, as we were getting on the air here. So I haven't had a chance to really, you know, read through it and read all your quotes and whatnot. But just for those people listening, where, where can they find it? And kind of just, you know, bring us through the article and how, how it came about. Yeah, it's on uh, it's on ESPN.com. Uh, Mark Simon, who's you might have heard of it. ESPN. Yeah, <laughs> he uh, he's Mark Simon's a writer for ESPN. He reached out to me um, because I uh, you know I just talk a lot about catching on on Twitter and and whatnot. He uh, he just he wanted the mechanic side of it, in my opinion, on why what makes Buster Posey the best in baseball now behind the plate, which for years has been Yadier Molina, or at least that's been the opinion. Uh, and Yadier is still great, um, but uh, it, Buster Posey's transferring into that the best all-around catcher rather than just uh, you know a catch and throw guy like like Yadier might become in the next year or two. So, anyways, I was just talking to him about uh, some mechanics of receiving and blocking and you know bunt defense and this stuff, and uh, it was it was cool. It was it was fun to talk about. Not a lot of guys love catching, so it's, it's kind of cool to talk about talk to the guys who do. And it was kind of funny because, and, and this is something that people may not know about you and maybe that just knew you kind of later at, at Plattsburgh is when you were a catcher. What did you come into into Plattsburgh as? What, what was it, a shortstop? Yeah, shortstop pitcher. Um, you know, I went to a small school in, in high school. We weren't very good. And usually, you know, if you're any kind of an athlete whatsoever, I guess, at a small school, you can play middle infield, you can pitch. Um, you know, my, I mean, my high school team in four years, I think won about, uh, let's see, like 13, 14 games. So we were really, really bad. And, uh, I got to, got to college. I realized I wasn't fast enough for the middle infield. Maybe didn't have the hands for it. Uh, went to third base. Um, and then I saw an opening a catcher and I didn't know I'd like it as much as I did. And, uh, you know, I, I, because there was a two year spot for me, a catcher, I, it was, it was probably the best decision as far as loving the game, understanding the game, being a part of the game, and obviously playing time too. But, uh, you know, catching is a it's a tough position to teach yourself to learn, but I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, and I guess when you're giving a bomb to Linden State, you're, you realize you're not really a pitcher. <laughs> hey, man, showed up that day, and, and uh, I think Coach about two hours before the game said, hey, you're pitching. I said, okay, I haven't thrown a bullpen in about two years, but, hey, let's give it a shot. Oh, you know, Coach Dory, he likes to just kind of spring things on people and, and without even asking them. I remember one time, uh, it was my senior year after you had graduated, and uh, he left a bunch of the, you know, starting seniors home, like a Shaughnessy, uh, Damian Tyler, a Handy, all those guys. And, um, you know, he, I was one of the only seniors that he brought because I'm, you know, a part-time player filling in and whatnot. And and I literally, all I had, I was, a, I was, for those of you who don't know, I was first baseman in college. I, you know, I practiced at third, maybe my freshman, sophomore year. And then other than that, I was strictly a first baseman. And we're literally, I'm one of the last people to get off the bus. He turn, he stops me and he goes, you're starting at third today. And I'm like, all right, you got it. <laughs> and then I'm like, does anybody have a fielding glove that I can borrow? I didn't bring my third baseman's glove because nobody <laughs> told me I was going to be playing third base today. Yeah, yeah, Coach Story like to do that a little bit. I mean, I, I know a couple of games that's happened and kind of kept you on your toes and stuff. But, uh, you know, it, it was what it was. Um, the pitching side of me, I, I I figured I wasn't a pitcher in college when uh, when I realized that 80 miles an hour and flat fastball over the middle of the plate wasn't going to get it done. So 
Uh, I left that part behind me. But, hey, I, it, you know what? It was fun to do it for about three or four appearances in college. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I gave up a ding or a chip. Oh, that's tough to do. Not a lot of people have done that. So, hey, I mean, you're one of the few, I guess. <laughs> All right, so let, let's go back into the the real baseball things, and they do say that you know that that catchers make the best you know coaches and managers. So I'm sure you know you've had a lot of success in your coaching career, and it's only going to continue uh, on from here. And you know, let's get into that catcher strategy that you told Tyler and I about that we, we really couldn't understand over text. So I want you to try to explain to me in the audience. And, and for those of you who don't know, obviously I, I mentioned it on the, the, the What's on Tap video, but you don't play a catcher at all throughout the entire season in your keeper league. You leave that spot open. Why? Well, last year I actually I, I drafted one, and I've drafted one every year. Uh, this is, I think, now the sixth or seventh year we're going into this league. Uh, and I've always drafted one. I've always played one. And last year it was Yasmani Grandal, who was one of those breakout candidates. He is again this year. Um, and he wasn't producing the first half of the year. He was hitting about 210. He had, uh, I don't know, seven, eight home runs at the time, something like that, towards towards the halfway point of the year. And I just, I, to be honest, it's one. Of, first of all, it's a frustrating thing to get the notification every three days that because Monty Grandal is not starting today in your lineup, and you should adjust it. And nobody's going to carry two catchers. Um, so, it, one, it's burning a hole in my roster every three or four days when he's not playing. And, two, he wasn't producing at the time. And unless you get one of the top two guys or three guys in Posey and, and Gary Sanchez, uh, you know, you're not you're not going to have a ton of counting stats as it is anyways. So, uh, you know, I'm going to sit out the the – one home run every two or three weeks that I'm going to get from a catcher and the one run I'm going to get every week. I don't think that many of your head-to-head categories are going to be decided by one run and one RBI. Uh, And then most of the catchers are going to burn you on average and on base percentage as well because obviously they're there for defense first. Uh, And so the fantasy value for me, I cut cut ties with Grandal. That was an empty spot on my lineup every single day. And my offense didn't really suffer much. Now, again, you gotta, got you got to have the guys that will produce without that. Uh, you know, you got to have enough home runs, enough RBIs, enough runs. But I just, you know, in a, in a category league when it's every week you're trying to win a category, I just don't think it's that much value. I would rather have a, a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher or somebody who's going to give me five, six, seven strikeouts, and that can swing a category uh, a lot more often, I think. So – but but my thing is that you can't play, you know, if you're not utilizing that catcher spot, it doesn't become another open spot for somebody else, you know, a different position. So how do you justify not having a catcher, but then saying that, you know, maybe I can carry an extra reliever or an extra starting pitcher. Starting pitcher, I don't understand because they obviously, you can slide that, you know, when the starting pitchers are going to pitch, but those relief pitchers, that's kind of it, it's kind of very up in the air. It depends on you know what's going on in that you know in those particular games throughout that week for for that team. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple of starting pitcher or a couple of relief pitchers who have starting pitcher eligibility. Uh, David Phelps with Miami, former Yankee, he's he's one, and and Rafael Iglesias with Cincinnati is two. And so Rafael Iglesias has relief a uh, starting pitcher eligibility, so you can slot him in starting pitcher role the entire season. And he is going to get you at 
what might end up being 30 saves and another 80 strikeouts uh, with a decent ERA and whip, and he's not going to cost you. So now you have five relievers instead of four, or you know you have four instead of three, however many relief pitchers that your league allows you to have. Uh, so on top of the four relievers that I already have getting me saves, I have another pitcher who normally wouldn't make your roster uh, because of the limited spots, like you said, in my starting pitcher role, uh, or in that roster spot every single day. So now I have five guys getting me saves instead of four. And so I would rather have reach for a guy like that a little bit, who I landed tonight, very excited about it, who's going to get me another 25, 30, 40 saves this year for Cincinnati, uh, rather than a guy who's going to hit me 15, 20 home runs and score me 50 or 60 runs and 50 or 60 RBIs. And, you know, just I think the counting stats for a relief pitcher who has starting pitcher eligibility like that who may also get me holds and, you know, whatever whatever role he ends up taking on is going to be a lot more valuable than a catcher. Again, we're talking with Matt Burns here on The Word with G. I'm your host, Greg Lardard. And, you know, that's an interesting strategy. So whenever you're, you're in a draft, if you have an opportunity to take one of those upper echelon catchers, whether it be Posey, whether it be uh, if you think Schwarber is going to be up there because he might have, you know, catcher eligibility, um, you know, maybe a grand doll if, he, if he's going to have a good season this year, whoever it may be, are you going to specifically pass on those guys because you want to employ the strategy of, you know, no catcher and maybe you know, utilize that, that, you know, starting pitcher, relief pitcher, eligibility type guy and, and grab him instead? Well, I did. I, it's funny because as we were talking about this, you know, two weeks ago, I was gung-ho about not taking a catcher. I didn't care if uh, – you know, 11 of the 12 teams had a catcher, and the last round had a catcher sitting there. I just, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly bothered by not having a catcher. And then my draft strategy changed. And in the seventh round of our keeper league, uh, I took a six-round six guy, and then the seventh round I took Billy Hamilton, who's going to hit me all of like three or four home runs this year. And so now I was lacking a little bit on home runs, and we got to the 20th or 21st round or whatever it was. And Yasmani Grandal was actually sitting there. And I said, you know what? <laughs> I got a call later tonight with Greg. I got to explain the fact that I don't have a catch on my roster. yet. I'm going to take one right now. And I, I, you know, I took Grandal. There's no guarantee I keep him after a month. Um, but for right now to uh, solidify maybe a little bit of power in my lineup, he is a good old on base percentage guy. So he's going to kill me in average. Um, but he's uh, he's a good OBP guy. He's going to have a little bit of pop, so it's going to help my lineup up out right now. Uh, again, I, I wouldn't have minded not taking a catcher at all whatsoever, but uh, it was it was at the right value, and like I said, value, value, value. I didn't see a starting pitcher at the time what I needed uh, that was that justified that spot, so I took Grandal, and I actually have one to start the year. Just like last year, I was starting the year. We'll see what happens. Same guy, Grandal as well. So, yeah, you know, that's interesting. So, you know, those of you who are trying to understand the strategy there, it's largely based upon need and, you know, how you're drafting. Like you just mentioned, you, you took Billy Hamilton, and, and this is being a smart fantasy player, realizing, hey, I'm going to be lacking in home runs. You know, I'm going to be, you know, solid in steals, and hopefully, you know, if he continues his, you know, his, his solid hitting atop the Reds lineup, it's not going to be a very good lineup but hopefully he can keep his on-base percentage and his, his average up and maybe get those steals and whatnot. You know, you have to make up in, in other, other areas. So, you know, that's just being a smart, you know, fantasy baseball player. And then throughout the season, you know, basically keeping up on those guys and saying, hey, 
is this guy at catcher helping or hurting me? So then you kind of have to determine all that as the year goes on. And that's why some people don't like fantasy baseball because it's every single day. You have to really love to go in and out and, and kind of try to check every single little thing and, and make sure everything's good to go. Fantasy football, it's easy. You know, you, it's once a week basically, and you just kind of have to adjust little things here and there, pick up some guys throughout the week. And, you know, fantasy baseball, you really got to be smart. But let's jump in. We got 15 minutes left, and, I, and I, there's a couple other things I want to get to here. Let's just jump quickly. A couple of things I was looking over our mock draft, and it was a couple of things. I'm not going to go into my draft because I, you know, whatever. My draft was not great. Um, I wanted to ask you about a couple of your picks, and and you had mentioned that Carlos Correa, you know, he had a little bit of a sophomore slump last year, and you picked him in this draft, this mock draft in the second round. Uh, it looks like 20th overall, you know, what were you, are you expecting Carlos Cork? Cause I'm expecting him to have a nice year this year. I mean, I've seen him in the world baseball classic and spring training. He's looking really good. What's your thought on uh, Carlos Correa? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I think you go for the guaranteed talents in the first, in the first, you know, three, four rounds or so as best as you can. Uh, I had Nolan Arenado in the first round. That's, I mean, go ahead and, and mark down 100 runs, 40 homers, 100 ribbies, and, you know, close to a 280, 300 average or whatever it is. And uh, the second round, I mean, you look at what our round does. It went Corey Seager, who I think is going to be solid. Max Scherzer has question marks as far as being healthy. Charlie Blackman, I think, is solid, but also had injury problems last year. Trey Turner, high ceiling, low floor kind of guy. Uh, Votto's a good pick. Then Noah Syndergaard. Uh, you know, I'm shying away from the second round. I think that's really early to take a guy like that. And then I had Correa. And then following that, I had Starling Marte, Xander Bogarts, um, and Chris Sale. I think that for that round where he was, the guaranteed production that I could find, uh, I thought Correa was a good pick. And, and I do believe, like you said, um, you know, he's going to have a really, really good third year. That first year, I mean, he had numbers that were only comparable to Alex Rodriguez at the shortstop position, which were just insane, and then he took a step back. But, you know, I I, I do. I think he's that kind of player or somewhere in between the two years, and, and he'll be a really, really good second-round guy. All right, now I'm going to you – know, since we don't have a lot of time, I'm just going to kind of look quickly to one other thing that kind of stood out to me. And, and this is a guy who – you hear a lot of good things about in this rotation in general, you hear a lot of good things about, but they pitch at a typically unfriendly pitcher's park in Coors Field. And that guy's John Gray. And you took him in the 19th round. How are you feeling about John Gray this year? Are you confident in this guy that this guy is going to be that stud guy that maybe a Ubaldo Jimenez was a couple of years ago for the Rockies or Mike Hampton was back in the day. Uh, you know, here this guy has tremendous stuff, a nice live young arm, you feeling good about John Gray in this rotation in Coors Field? Yeah, you know what? It's funny because John Gray doesn't – his splits from home and away were actually not that big last year. And so you assume, you know, a guy in Colorado uh, is going to be really bad at home and maybe decent on the road. He really wasn't that, that much different. Uh, he gave up about the same batting average against. He struck out about the same amount of guys. Um, his ERA was was actually lower at home than it was away, and he's a young guy, so you know a high strikeout potential guy, uh, gonna throw you a lot of innings, and like I said, wasn't m- more affected by home than away. 
So I'm basically, you know, that late in the, the draft, I was surprised he was still sitting there. And, uh, you know, maybe sometimes you can you can sit him at home and at cores and stuff on, on the and play him on the road. But like I said, his splits don't really change, and I think that's big for a pitcher in Colorado. If your splits are not different from home and away, uh, you know, you get a lot more of a true feel of so what kind of arm that guy is. You can't really judge a book by the by its covers, they say, because that's that's a classic case where, you know, you have to do a little research into John Gray. You just look at him and you think, yeah, good young pitcher, but gosh, he plays at Coors Field, and all you hear is these bad things about Coors Field and pitchers. Um, and like you mentioned, you just got to do a little research, and you find the silver lining in somebody who pitches for Coors at Coors Field that you know maybe it's not that big of a deal for him, and maybe he will be a really really good young pitcher. All right, so now we got about 10 minutes left. I want to do quickly a little bit more fantasy baseball. I want to talk about, and I want to get your thoughts on a couple guys that maybe you shouldn't sleep on this year. You know, just give me two or three, and I'll, I'll, I'll rattle off one or two. And then uh, I definitely want to talk a little LeVar Ball and, and get your opinion as a big UCLA guy. So give me a couple guys that you shouldn't sleep on this year. Well, I was going to say, you know, the first guy who I really was interested in about two weeks ago and I was set to take him in whatever round I took him. I actually got him in our mock draft. And then the World Baseball Classic happened. And everybody's going to reach on Marcus Stroman. And, uh, you know, it was it was unfortunate that that happened, I think, almost in a way, because I really do think Marcus Stroman's going to have a good year. Yeah, he's not going to strike out a ton of guys. Yes, he pitches in Henders Friendly Park uh, in Toronto. But uh, another young guy who's gotten better and better and if he stays healthy, I think can be a front-end guy. And for where he's going in, you know, rounds before the World Baseball Classic, rounds 10, 11, and 12, I think he can be a round 6, 7, 8 kind of guy. And like I said, value, value, value. If that's the guy is still sitting there in round 10, there's no reason to not scoop him up. Uh, so Marcus Stroman, again, until about a week ago, uh, was a sleeper. And I think that uh, that now you won't be able to get him as late as you would have a couple weeks ago. That's true. All right, let me give you one, and we'll kind of go back and forth uh, real quick. I am going to give you a guy who, you know, a lot of people, you know, obviously they know this guy's name, but you know, they don't think of him as, you know, a really, really productive player, maybe a guy who kind of gets hurt a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit about a guy named Brandon Bell, the first baseman for the San Francisco Giants. And, you know, I, I was reading some stats. I was doing some research before this, and, and I didn't even realize this, but Brandon Bell, he put up some pretty good stats last year. In, in his own, um, I think it was his, gosh, I don't remember exactly what the stat was, but um, he had 41 doubles, 104 walks, and he was the first player, Matty, in five years to do something like that, have 41 doubles, 40-plus doubles, and over 100 walks. Uh, so that's something that, you know, quietly you don't really think of Brandon Belt as, you know, too much because he plays in a very friendly pitcher's park in, in, in San Francisco there, and there's those, you know, that Death Valley out there. It's hard on a left-handed batter. If, unless you're Barry Bonds, which he clearly is not, you're not hitting a lot of those balls over the fence. You, you're going to get a lot of those doubles. You're going to get a lot of those gappers. And, you know, Brandon Belt definitely takes advantage of that, and, and he has the – uh, eighth highest fly ball rate at, at 43% last year and the, and the fifth highest line drive percentage and, and at 27%. So this is a guy, like he said, he puts the ball in the air, gets it up in the air, gets it into that Death Valley and hits a lot of line drives as a left-handed hitter. That's exactly what you want to do. Hit those alleys, you know, hit that, pull that ball down the line. He can go the other way if he needs to. 
So this is a guy who I'm kind of looking at, you know, don't, don't really reach for, but he's a guy, you know, after those upper echelon first basemen, you know, come off the board, this might be a, a good guy to kind of, you know, wait and you can get some good value on. No, I mean, I 100% agree. Brandon Bell is the uh, is a great first base pick after those first three or four guys at first base. Uh, they After they're going to come off the board in the first two or three rounds, um, like you said, I mean, that guy, when you think of Brandon Bell, you're not thinking of a 40-home run guy or maybe even a 30-home run guy. He's not going to hit 330. He's not going to drive in 100 runs. He might not score 100 runs. But that guy is a really, really consistent, productive hitter. One of the reasons why he's not going to hit 30, 40 home runs is because of that park, like you mentioned. But he hits the ball hard, and he puts it in play often, and those will always play out over the course of the season. And, and so, you know, you're talking about draft strategy as far as what your league scoring is. Brandon Bell is definitely a higher rotisserie scoring uh, rated player, but at the same time, even in categories, I mean, I'm taking Brandon Bell if the value's right. If he falls a, just even a little bit, I'd, I'd hop all over him. Unfortunately, in our keeper league, I'd already had two first basemen, so I couldn't, you know, one is filling my uh, my utility role and one's filling my first base, so I couldn't even go after him if I wanted to. But, yeah, I mean, Brandon Bell is a great sleeper pick, and uh, you know, I agree. I agree with everything you said. That guy's going to only get better and better. He's a young hitter, and uh, I think he's a great pick. Uh, who you got next as a, as a sleeper? We'll go one more each, and then we'll we'll dive into UCLA. Right, this is gonna this is gonna hurt me to say it, and it's gonna and it's gonna make you smile maybe a little bit as a Mets fan. But I I grabbed him in our keeper league tonight is Michael Conforto, and uh, you know Michael Conforto I think um, I wasn't a big fan of last year because I didn't like the way he swung the bat as far as mechanically. I thought there were, there was a big hole in his swing. And it kind of showed a little bit. He was a very streaky hitter. You know, if he gets on plane and he, and he had his timing up a little bit, he could really hit the ball. But, but there was just a big hole in his swing where he wasn't going to be a pro- productive, consistent hitter. And then the Mets went out and got Jay Bruce, which I didn't understand at the time. But, you know, it, uh, it, it definitely cut into Conforto's playing time and potential there for the last season. However, this year, Conforto's having a great spring. Uh, I think that you're going to see either Curtis Granderson or Jay Bruce, probably Jay Bruce, take – some, uh, take a back seat in the outfield a little bit to Michael Conforto. I know there's talk about Jay Bruce maybe playing a little first base for Lucas Conforto. I'm sorry, for Lucas for Lucas Duda. And Conforto's going to slot into either Conforto. center or right field here <laughs> consistently. Um, but Conforto's going to be a guy who eventually is going to hit 280, 20, 30 home runs. And, you, and where he's going in the draft, you're not going to find that. Both of those, that average and home run potential – uh, that late in the round. I mean, he's going, Conforto's going, you know, sometimes in the 20th, 21st round, and there's no reason to not scoop him up at that late when later in the draft, as opposed to early in the draft when you're looking for guaranteed production, later in the draft you're looking for talent, and uh, and if you can get a little ceiling on a guy, maybe like Conforto, I think that that's a no-brainer. So Conforto's my guy, not happy back if he's a Met, but you know what? Uh, the Mets aren't going to be very good, so I'm okay saying it. Yeah, right. Did you start drinking before this segment? You must have. <laughs> Listen, their DL is going to get locked up by about three or four starting pitchers by, by May, so uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, you already see one that's, that's going to be happening. It's going to be Stephen Mass, but, you know, they Matt's should have some up. nice depth, so – uh, he, he's got a little problem in the elbow. He's missing his start tomorrow. Uh, they're just going to take it easy. And, but that guy's such 
I can what he is, I can't say it over the air, but um, he's basically a baby when it comes to those type of things. But let me give you one real quick, and then I want to touch on UCLA. We only got about two minutes left. I'm going to go with Brandon Drury uh, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's got the second base job right now. He's tearing the cover off the ball in spring. Uh, He had real good stats when he came up and played a good amount last year because David Peralta was hurt, and and we know A.J. Pollock also hurt as well. And those two guys that are usually injury-prone and – you know, this guy, has, he can play a lot of different positions. He's going to, you know, they have a lot of infield, middle infield depth, but he's going to be starting at second base. He can play third base for Jake Lamb, and he can play any outfield spot you need him to as well. So this guy is multi-talented. He's very versatile, and we like that for fantasy baseball. All right, quickly, we got about, like I said, two minutes left. What is your take? As a UCLA Bruin fan, a self-proclaimed one, and you are one of the biggest, if not the biggest Bruin fan that I know, what is your take on all this LeVar, Lonzo Ball uh, type nonsense that's going on that, that, that LeVar is kind of getting that, you know, that, this, this big media pull? I, you know what? I stopped, I stopped listening to him as soon as he started talking about Lonzo compared to NBA players. It just, at some point, you know, like, you know, you and I talked off the air. If you keep putting a microphone in the guy's face, he's going to continue to spout ridiculous things off. But uh, I don't waste my time getting worked up about a guy who's saying things that are so unbelievably absurd. Uh, I, I really, really love watching Lonzo Ball play. I mean, the guy was so incredibly talented. He's so unselfish in the way he distributes the ball. But uh, unfortunately, we got to listen to this guy talk more and more for the next few years, and I don't think he's going away anytime soon because people put, keep putting the microphone in front of his face. So tell your media buddies to stop talking to him, and maybe he'll go away. I know, and, I, and I'm hoping – that I can stop talking about him. But like we talked about, it, it seems like it's only going to become more prevalent as you know his big baller brand grows and you got people talking about it and his, his two younger sons that are coming up as well. And you know he's talking about how these guys are even better than Lonzo. And Lonzo maybe ends up being a first-round pick and, and maybe the first overall pick in the draft this year. It's going to be a good uh, draft, especially for guards. There's a lot of good ones that are going to be in there. Matt, I really appreciate you giving me some time here on The Word with G. We will talk soon, and we will, you know, let me know about that fantasy baseball draft that's coming up hopefully this week. 100% looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, man. Always, always. Love having Matt Burns on the air. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Word with G on Blog Talk Radio, WRC Radio, WRC Sports. I'm Greg Leonard. We're out.